If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We can't use technology just for the sake of using technology. There has to be a method to madness. The most effective use that you'll get out of any sort of new technology is when there's a purpose behind it. Educator and innovation consultant Brian Collins excels in combining inspiration with technology. Brian, who is the founder of Orlando-based consulting firm The Brainstorm Institute, uses his professional background to create product which includes XR educational experiences, multimedia marketing, and immersive workshops in which he teaches innovation. And the professional background on which he is drawing includes his work as a former Disney Imagineer, along with more than 16 years and counting of teaching innovation and entrepreneurship at the college level, as well as his current position as Senior Director of Innovations and Strategic Initiatives at Orlando-based international software development company, Magic Bytes. Brian, you're all about creating magic, it seems to me. Where did that creative magic start for you? Oh my gosh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always been kind of creative. And I've always known I wanted to do something creative for a living. And, you know, I got to, obviously, you know, I think I, I need to probably give props to my mom and dad who always supported me and put up with me. And my mom was always a pretty creative person. And in particular, I had an aunt, one of my mom's sisters, that was really creative. And that's really, I think, where my oldest memories of really kind of enjoying that kind of creative freedom and having fun with it come from, was interacting with her and, and, you know, seeing some of the stuff that she had done. So, gosh, it's in my DNA. What's one of your absolute favorite stories from interacting with her before we get a look at what you're doing right now? Oh, man. So when I was a little kid, she used to, and this is going way back, you know, before computers and stuff even, so I'm going to age myself here a little bit, but I remember she used to make these little, like, magazine covers for me and my brother and, you know, other members of the family and stuff. And she would take, like, a Time magazine, let's say, and cut the banner off the top of it, you know, the name of the magazine, and put it on paper. And then she would come up with these fun little headlines and, you know, just get, like, pictures of us and just kind of, it was just like a real simple, silly little thing. But I remember that was a really fun memory, and I asked one time, you know, could you make one of those for me? And she made one for my birthday. I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old. I still have it. But I thought that was just kind of like the neatest little thing to get your picture on a magazine cover. What a cool aunt. And I love that you said the word silly, because it seems like so many times silly leads to something super creative. How'd you first realize the power of technology to enhance creativity? Oh, boy. The reason for the big size, that, that's a really interesting question. And I think probably once I started 
Okay, so so I'm old enough to remember when computers first came around. <laughs> and my first computer was uh, Macintosh SE. It didn't even have an internal hard drive. It had two floppy disks. The first time I saw a computer was actually in a college lab. But when I was an undergraduate, my major was advertising and my minor was in marketing. And as part of advertising, we actually had to take a course on typewriting, how to type. And then it was actually within a few years after that, that home computers started to kind of be a thing. And I got my first Apple computer. And and that's when I think I really kind of started becoming enamored with technology. And then certainly, you know, after I graduated and had more access to it, it's just been... I think one of the favorite parts of my my job and my career and, and what I get to do is exploring new and emerging technologies up to this point where it's kind of, you know, now taking me into virtual worlds and things like that. What are some of the coolest new immersive technologies you see coming that are going to help enhance our creativity? Well, absolutely. I think where we're going with like virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, all of that stuff, it's, it's kind of like lumped under XR. I think that's going to have some real major impacts in how people express their creativity. I wish I had some of that when I worked at Disney as an Imagineer. It would have been cool technology tab back then. When I look at it now and I see some of the real creative ways people are using it for not only you know, looking to maybe disrupt education, to disrupt the conference industry. You're seeing more and more virtual conferences taking place in virtual reality, in medical technology. I mean, I think it's going to touch on pretty much every aspect of our lives. And as the technology continues to mature, I think you know, we're going to find more and more creative ways to kind of implement it. What are some of the coolest ways you see right now, having worked as an innovation specialist for Florida Virtual School, that it is being used to disrupt education? So, you know, it's really interesting because I've spoken to a lot of educators about immersive technology, and it's still very young. And there's a school of thought that it's still too young to really make an impact in education because, you know, the headsets are still a little bit expensive, so how do you get those into the hands of the students? The technology, you know, the bandwidth that you need and the hardware that you need is sometimes can be out of reach for students, especially if you're talking about some of the smaller, more remote markets, you know, someone in... Chicago or L.A. or New York is going to have a much different experience than someone saying like uh, a small town. And forgive me if I, I don't mean to tell anyone, but in like Iowa or Wyoming or South Dakota, you know, where the infrastructure isn't as robust yet as it is in some of the larger towns. So there's a challenge. I'm hearing you say we're really going to need less expensive headsets. We're really going to need a way to get that bandwidth to the smaller towns. 
you know, not even the smaller towns. I think all towns. It's kind of like when electric cars first came out. We didn't quite have the infrastructure for the charging stations, and it took a while for those cars to be able to kind of come into their own, like Teslas and things like that, because I think people were just a little bit scared that they would have this great product, but would they be able to use it to its fullest capacity? And I think VR and AR is kind of like that now. I think the pandemic has really kind of accelerated the speed at which companies are looking to adopt the new technologies. So hopefully, you know, we'll be able to to get innovative in how we can maybe fund some of that technology. That's been another area that I've been very actively looking into some innovative ways to maybe, you know, see if we could get the products in the hands of the students and teachers. What are some of those ways we could do that, considering it's going to be a real need within, I hate to say it, but I really don't think this pandemic is going to be over soon. No. That's just my opinion. What are some of the ways we could do that? I think you're going to have to look at getting real creative with how education is funded. And this is something that goes way back to back when I was an innovation specialist for the virtual school years ago. You know, it was an issue then, and it still is today. I think a lot of times school districts and educators rely on old models of funding, which is, you know, relying on their school districts to hopefully come up with line items, you know, in their budget to fund technology. Sometimes, if they're lucky, they can get a grant. I think there are opportunities for corporate America to kind of step up and maybe look at how they support education and funded education and, you know, possibly even, I don't want to say, you know, product placement, because that sounds really kind of like, you know, you see someone picking up a a soda in a movie and, you know, hawking the brand. But I think there are opportunities to get creative with how companies can fund education outside of some of the channels that they're currently using. I've had discussions with some larger companies where, you know, most of them have a philanthropic side to them where they have money set aside for education. And the frustration is that they'll give the money to different organizations or different initiatives, but they're not exactly sure how that funding is being used. And I think that there's a lot of room where we can kind of improve that, both for the funders and the fundees, if you will. It'll be exciting to see what happens for the future. I did want to ask you for a couple of definitions because you have a couple of terms on your website that I hadn't heard before. You reference 6D design technology. Whatever is that? <laughs> 6D design technology, my gosh. Okay, so when I talk about 6D design technology, it's my way of saying that it's twice as good as 3D technology. It's just more of kind of like a little phrase I came up with, and it's, again, a more immersive form of 3D, where not only do you get the visuals, but you add more immersive type of elements, like maybe smell or sound and things like that into it as well. Ooh, 
I love the idea of adding the olfactory stuff, adding the smell to the immersive. What are some of the more exciting areas in which you've seen that happening recently? It's funny. I mean, just literally this morning, I was discussing that with someone, how at one point I was looking at how you can use smells to actually help lock in memories. If you've ever looked into brain science and research, you know that smells are one of the, the best ways to walk in a memory. Sometimes you can walk into someone's house and you'll smell something cooking and you'll be right back to when you were a kid and often that smell will trigger a memory. And I've always thought that there were opportunities to do the same kind of thing in education. So for example, let's say you're studying chemistry, maybe you could have like scratch and sniff cards or something that the students would have. And if they're, you know, studying different molecules, you know, chlorines or, you know, different scents like that could, can maybe help lock in those memories for what they're studying. So that was one idea that I've been kicking around for a while. That is a really cool one. Of course, when you say that, I go back in my mind because I remember the scent of chocolate chip cookies and that immediately takes me to my grandma's kitchen. Right, Exactly. Or, you know, I mean, me being the Disney guy, you know, when you walk down Main Street, USA, and you go by the bakery, you know, you smell the chocolate chip cookies, or you're in an attraction, and you smell the oranges, let's say, and it really just kind of helps complete that whole experience for you. Of everything you've done, with being an Imagineer, with having been the designer of a lot of immersive experiences, what do you consider one of the best creative lessons you've ever learned with all this technology? I think the, the biggest lesson that I've learned is that you can't use technology just for the sake of using technology. There has to be a method to demand this. I think one of the biggest dangers with any technology is using technology just for the sake of using it. When virtual reality, let's say, first came out, there were a lot of people that were jumping on the bandwagon to use it just because it was kind of a cool, new, shiny toy. And the most effective use that you'll get out of any sort of new technology is when there's a real method to the madness, when there's a purpose behind it. So I think that's something that is a really important lesson that people need to kind of keep in mind. Just you know, make sure that, you know, technology, like anything else, it's, especially when you're talking about for education, it's a tool to be used. But you need to make sure that, again, there's a real intent in how you use it. With that in mind, please tell me about your own current use of VR and AR in creating some immersive experiences. Let's do a shameless plug of some of the things you're doing right now. <laughs> so company I'm working with is called Magic Bytes, and we are doing a lot of, right now we happen to be doing a lot of focusing on how to use AR and VR for gaming, for education in particular. We're looking at ways that, and I'll kind of talk a little bit about the education part, because I know that's a big part of your audience, but how can you maybe create these wonderful immersive experiences where, you know, right now Zoom has become so popular for a lot of teachers who are kind of forced into remote teaching. And for good or bad, I think remote teaching is going to be with us for a while. So 
how can we maybe use VR to kind of give the students a more engaging, immersive experience? And I think, you know, there are a lot of really exciting platforms out there that are starting to kind of come into their own. But I think where the challenge is, is a lot of teachers and students are a little bit nervous on how to use the technology. So not only are we trying to come up with some wonderful immersive experiences for teachers where maybe they can bring students into a science lab and, you know, study the planets or the universe or, you know, a history lab and take them back in history or whatever it may be, but also looking at how we can help educate the teachers and give them some guidance of which platform is best for them to use or, you know, once they decide on a platform, actually how to get in there and use it in a way where they can include all their students, whether or not they've got headsets or not, because a lot of platforms actually have a desktop variation too. So you don't necessarily need the headset. You're not going to get, obviously, as immersive and as robust an experience on the desktop, but it can be done. So I think there are a lot of really nice options, and that's one thing that we're really kind of exploring is not only how to create the environments, but how to educate people on how to use them. What are one or two of the platforms or resources you might recommend to a teacher who, let's say this is all new to her, she's just getting a start, she's a little intimidated, what might you recommend? Give us a call. No, just kidding. I think two of the bigger ones that are out there that are very popular, one of them is called Altspace VR, and the other one is called Engage. And I've been spending a lot of time in both of those And they're really cool. Both of them, like any technology, you know, they've got their pluses and their minuses. All VR platforms are not created equal, you know. So that's part of, I think, our expertise, too, is kind of knowing what's out there. As a matter of fact, as soon as I get off the call with you, I'm going to be taking a virtual tour of a new platform today, and I've got another one tomorrow, and I did one yesterday. So it's getting really because a lot of people are trying to like get into the market right now and it's really important especially if you're creating content to understand what those different platforms are and how they work and you know the pluses and minuses of them it's very exciting and very fun though it sounds like a blast before i wrap up the call i would love to look at a concept that you reference you have a forthcoming book and you talk about creative cross-pollination yeah How does that relate to what's going on right now with VR and AR? What can we do with all this technology and creative cross-pollination? Wow. So, awesome question. So, creative cross-pollination is a concept that I've been building on and teaching about for years. I've been an adjunct professor at a lot of colleges. I'm actually an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida where I teach courses in in probably several other schools. And creative cross-pollination is something that's kind of a concept that I've been developing ever since my days as an Imagineer. And basically, what creative cross-pollination is talking about is the ability to take two things that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other and to put them together and make something meaningful. So it's a way of innovation. And that in of itself is nothing new. I mean, there are a lot of people, there's a very famous guy, Edward de Bono, 
who talk about the different colored hats and, and something called lateral thinking, you know, which is a form of creative cross-pollination. But where I tend to, I think, go a little bit deeper into it is the fact that my belief is that this is something that's kind of hardwired into us as humans. It's something that's very innate in even other animals as well. But going back to the days when we lived, you know, in the caves and we crushed up berries and, you know, made colored palm prints on the walls of our caves, that was a form of creative cross-pollination. And it's something that kind of extends all the way to today. And I think the most innovative people out there are the ones who kind of understand how that innovation is a part of all of us. Because, you know, when I hear people tell me they're not creative, I don't believe them. I think every person is creative. It's just different people manifested in different ways. And I think, you know, in terms of like AR and VR, like any new technology that's out there, I think the biggest advances and the biggest leaps in advancing the technology are going to come from the people who are able to maybe see a new innovative way to either use the technology or to bring something to add into the technology. I think that's where the cross-pollination is going to be very, very important. Let's be sure and give some links. Where can people find out more about your upcoming book? Where can they contact you? So please visit our websites. A couple of them, there's magicbytes.com. Bytes is B-Y-T-E-S, so magicbytes.com. There's also the brainstorm-institute.com. And you can email me at either of those two. Brian at Magic Bites or Brian at Brainstorm-Institute.com. I love getting emails. You can please follow me on LinkedIn. If you search for Brian Collins Orlando, you should be able to find me. And also on Facebook, I would encourage you to find my page, The Mouse and the Imagineer. And then I also have another page just for educators on Facebook called Educators Who Love Disney. And that's filled with all kinds of interesting tips for teachers and educators. So please join my Facebook pages. And, yeah, I'd love to, love to be followed, love to be liked in a social media kind of way. And when is your book coming out? I am hoping within the next year or so. So I've got a couple publishers who have expressed interest. If there are any publishers out there who want to reach out to me, I'd love to talk to you. It's pretty darn close to being done, so I'm hoping within the year I'll have it wrapped up and ready to go. We'll look forward to seeing it. Yeah, thank you. And finally, Brian, if people could only get one thing from you and your work about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what do you want them to take away from you? I think, you know, if there's one thing I always want to have people take away from when I speak to them is the fact that how important it is to have an open mind to kind of observe the world and be tolerant of other ideas out there and then take all of that wonderful information that we get exposed to on a day-to-day basis and find ways to inject that into your own creativity 
anyone out there, like I said before, anyone out there is creative and innovative. Some people are just kind of trained on how to manifest that creativity and innovation, you know, more than others, but anyone can kind of develop it. So I would ask people, you know, just always, it's so important to work on being as innovative and creative as you can be. It's going to improve your work, your life, everything about you. Brian, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. You and I have been listening to Brian Collins, founder and lead innovation consultant at the Brainstorm Institute in Orlando. Brian also serves as Senior Director of Innovations and Strategic Initiatives at international software development company Magic Bytes LLC. To find out more about the immersive experiences Magic Bytes is creating, check out magicbytes.com. That's Magic Bytes, spelling it B-Y-T-E-S, magicbytes.com. And you can find out more about Brian's workshops and innovation consulting services at the brainstorm-institute.com. One more time, that is the brainstorm-institute.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us, twomavericks, at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at Pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.